Hi, this is Ron Hogan, and you're listening to Life Stories, a Beatrice.com podcast about memoirs and memoir writers. My guest today is Periel Ashenbrand, and we're going to be talking about her second book, On My Knees, which is just out from It Books. And I'm really delighted to have you here today, Periel. Well, thank you so much. It's very nice to be here. As I mentioned, this is your second memoir. I wanted to ask you a little bit about sort of one, how the book itself sort of picks up from where your first book left off, and also sort of behind the book, the decision to do like another memoir. Well, maybe I'll answer that question in reverse order. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the decision to write a second memoir is less of a decision than I'm really not capable of writing anything else. Maybe be writing crime novels or something if I could, but I think this is really the only way I know how to write. So I think that anything that I'm writing is going to be sort of in that quote-unquote voice, that genre, if you will. Also, I think that it wasn't really so much of a decision like, oh, I'm going to sit down now and like write a second memoir. I mean, I think that it happened a lot more naturally than that. I wrote another manuscript in between my first and this. It was about 500 pages and then put most of it into the garbage and then stole parts of it from myself that really turned into On My Knees. So that 500-page manuscript that you sort of cannibalized, that was also a a way of sort of putting your life story together or or parts of your life story? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I had written that mostly while I was squatting in my grandmother's, my dead grandmother at that point, apartment. God only knows what what was in (laughs) there. But most of it was probably worth setting on fire. And this is something that comes up in the book itself, uh, that period of your life where you're sort of taking over your grandmother's apartment in Stuyvesant Town. That is a part of the story that you're telling in On My Knees. Yes, it is. I mean, I think that that was sort of the dark low point. But I think the, you know, for, for the purposes of other people reading it condensed into, instead of 500 pages, you know, a few chapters to... You know, I mean, for, for it to be part of the story or part of a larger story instead of the entire story itself. I would imagine, too, that sort of the emotional and, and time distance of not trying to write that story while you're still in that house. Absolutely. <laughs> of course. Yeah, for sure. To be able to do it with a sense of humor. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think you have to be a little bit further out from it or have a little bit of distance from it. Let's talk about what made that a low point in your life at that point. I mean, because it isn't just about moving into your grandmother's house. It's about all the emotional stuff that's going on in your life Mm -hmm. at that point. Basically, the things that you wanted to sort of like run away from, Uh or at least to escape. Well, I had just come out of a breakup after, you know, a very, very long relationship, and that's never fun. Had gotten into another relationship, which I had no business doing. <laughs> you know, I was thinking I was sort of looking to be saved, which obviously n- never works. And I think that that apartment was sort of, I mean, a depressing because my grandmother had just died and like it was filled with her shit. So I was like surrounded by a dead person's belongings. 
And I think that that was sort of like the physical manifestation of all the emotional stuff that was going on, you know. And ultimately, you can't really escape unless you, like, I mean, you have to dig your way out of the hole. You can't just like miraculously appear someplace else. At the time, you were basically trying to vault out of the hole mm-hmm. by entering into a really ill-advised relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, I mean, you write about how that blew up in your face. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't remember whose quote it is, but it's something like, you know, there's the only way to get through it is to go through it, you know? I had a really great professor in college, uh, a lit professor, actually, who was a sort of wild guy. He was probably in his, like, mid-60s at that point. His name was Dr. Williams. And I remember that when I was in college, I'd gone through this breakup, and I was all, like, weepy, and I was very close with him. He was really a mentor. And he said to me, Periel... When in hell, look around. <laughs> so I think, you know, that advice sort of stuck with me for um, boys. At the time, you're able to, to look around at, at what's going on with you and not necessarily be able to execute the solution yourself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, you certainly had no problem pinning down what was wrong with your best friend's love life. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Well, I think that Hannah in the book really serves as a window and a mirror. We're always most critical of others, you know, when we see the things that we dislike most about ourselves. I mean, she made it really easy, too. <laughs> I mean, it was like, here was somebody who was actually making worse decisions than I was, if that was possible. <laughs> I think that sort of raises an interesting question for me in terms of... So people like Hannah and Nico, who play like a much more active role in the story of On My Knees, than, say, like your former boyfriend, Gnome, who you kind of have broken up with at the beginning of the book. is He's more of a peripheral character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it seems like there's maybe less of a concern maybe about, like, well, how's Noam going to react to being in this book? Because he's not in the book to the extent that uh, that other people are. Mm-hmm. And and how did they react to these sorts of... I mean, do you, how early in the process of writing to publication do you sort of fill these people in on the prospect of, oh, yeah, I've been writing about my life and you're a part of my life and you're going to show up? As late as humanly possible. <laughs> I, this is something that's come up a lot, both in my personal and professional life. I mean, I think it's a question that I get asked very often, and it's something that I have to actually mitigate and deal with. But I think that, as I explained to someone very recently, I change certain things about certain people for a variety of reasons, legal, personal logistical, literary, whatever the case may be. While most of the stories in there are, I mean, not only accurate, but I would say, like, verbatim in many cases, things have been changed. These are characters in in a book. I'm not a journalist, and, like, this isn't, you know, some biography. This is my version of events, and... It's also supposed to be taken with a great deal of humor. 
And I recognize and appreciate that people don't necessarily have a great sense of humor about themselves. <laughs> I've noticed when it comes to stuff like this. And then I think that there's always this romantic notion of being written about until you're actually written about. Because obviously the way that I see it is going to be quite different from the way that like you see yourself. But at the end of the day, like I'm the one who has to live with my work. I have my boundaries. I'm the one who has to grapple with those. And my, my personal boundaries are that if someone close to me tells me something in private and asks me not to repeat it, I won't. Ever. But beyond that, like everything else is pretty much fair game. Speaking of people who may or may not have a sense of humor about appearing in print, your mom, as she appears as a character in the book, does not, as a character, seem to have like a, a sense of humor about herself or about you. I'm very, very fortunate that in real life that's not the case. <laughs> My mother probably has one of the best senses of humor about herself and about me. So I'm, I'm very fortunate in that way. And, you know, I mean, I think it's also worth noting that I really do come from a background of being very influenced by humor and comedy, and none of anything that I've written is written with malicious intent. That's important to me. I mean, I'm not interested in that in real life or in, in my work. I mean, that's just not the place that I operate from ever. It's not that interesting to me at all. Like, it's all supposed to be pretty funny. And I think the interesting thing for me is finding the humor in, in the dark places. And even I was talking to Hannah recently, you know, who is not as out there in terms of what she's willing to reveal about herself as I am. And she's, you know, she's worried about, like, coming off as neurotic or desperate or whatever. And I said, you know, well, I think that's part of what makes her interesting, you know? I mean, I think that's part of what makes her human. I think we've all been Hannah. I mean, I certainly have been. I think that's part of the point of the book as well. And if the first half of the book is about tail spinning out of your <laughs> earlier long-term relationship, then the second half is more of a building yourself back up. Uh-huh. And finding a, a relationship that, while it certainly isn't a smooth relationship, does ultimately work. Uh-huh. It's like, I mean, this is the guy you married. <laughs> it is the guy who's my current husband, mm -hmm. <laughs> still. Yeah. And there's some real fortuities in, in how that came about. I mean, it seems like a lot of things came together to put you in the path of this guy. Well, I really think that once you... Or, you know, you start to get honest with yourself and you deal with, when you really start dealing with the things that you need to be dealing with and you stop operating out of a place of, I don't know, fear or neuroses or desperation or a combination of all three and you start to be a person who's willing to take chances. I mean, I think that the universe really responds to that. I mean, I think that ultimately we don't really have a lot of control over those things. And the only thing that we really do have control over is ourselves. And I mean, even that is questionable sometimes. So I think that that's true for everyone, though. You know, I don't think that that's just, you know, oh, I met this great guy. You know, I mean, I think that it's really about how you deal with your life. 
And I mean, I certainly feel extremely lucky to have found him, but I think that that's really true for everyone. And it didn't necessarily have to go that way. I mean, you write about how, like, the first time that you actually got to talk to him, you thought he was really boring. I did. (laughs) I was bored to tears. But I think that he was shy, too. I think that it was in part being shy and a little bit boring, which, you know, is fine. And this often comes up with people who are writing about their lives and about their relationships, as we were talking about before. Especially when you're writing about your romantic relationships and in a new relationship, there comes that point at which you really sort of have to have that talk with the person, introduce them to the concept of, well, you know, if we are going to have a life together, you need to recognize that a big part of what I do is to write about my life Mm -hmm. and decide like, okay, how much of that do you want to be a part of? it's clear that you're already conscious of the needs to establish and respect boundaries with people around mm-hmm. you. A need which, you know, is that much more intense when it's your partner. Right. Well, I think, first of all, like, guys' first language is in English, which works out really well for me. <laughs> so I can just blow things off really easily. Mm-hmm. I really just don't think he cares. Like, honestly, I mean, he's so indifferent to being written about it's like really remarkable i mean that that's a real blessing for me because it would be very very difficult i think to be with somebody who had a problem with that and you know i've asked him you know i can change your name or yeah i mean that that is something that i do go through with everybody that i write about you know would you like me to change your name how comfortable are you being written about? And and those answers change, like I said. You know, I mean, in the beginning, it's like, oh, yeah, you can write whatever you want. And then it's like, mm. You're putting that story in? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And luckily, with the people who are closest to me, like my parents and Guy, I have a lot more free reign. I mean, there are a couple of things that, like, my mother is like, you know, you can't write about that. But she knows that, you know, <laughs> it doesn't really help. That response uh, on his part to be like, yeah, whatever, right? Uh-huh. That must, I mean, you describe it as a blessing, but at first it must also have been sort of like a, really? Whatever? You're sort of like, it's, it's a blessing, but it's also like an unexpected blessing as a writer. It <laughs> makes it a lot easier, though, because mm-hmm. I don't feel like... I have to, like, surreptitiously be, like, taking notes and stuff and, like, figuring out how to change things around. And I have to tell you that the stories that are most clear-cut and the stories that nothing's been changed are usually my favorite ones. I mean, like, when somebody's like, oh, that didn't really happen. I'm like, no, this really happened. Like, I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. So that's really nice. And again, you know, I don't tell them until the very end that, like, this is what we're writing about and this is what's going to happen. You give them, like, as little time as possible to freak out. At the same time, they they know that it's like, well, there's only really one thing that Periel writes about. Totally. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. And I mean, I've said that on numerous occasions. You know, like, I don't walk around pretending to be, like, a neuroscientist. Like, you know that this is what I do and you know that this is what I write about. Also, I mean, I think... Truly, I don't think that I reveal more about anyone than I do about myself. 
So I think that, like, if anybody has anything to be mortified about, it's probably me. And, like, if I'm okay with it. And, you know, like, I've said to numerous people in my family, you know, they should feel free to write their own memoir. Like, I have a great agent I'm happy to introduce them to. (laughs) And, like, their version of events is on them. I encourage them to have a sense of humor about it because it's really not that serious. When you say that, you know, the most mortifying stories are the ones that you tell about yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking back to that 500-page manuscript that you tossed, finding that boundary isn't necessarily the right word in this context, but figuring out the degree to which, as somebody who is sort of making a, a career out of sharing herself with readers, figuring out where the line is in terms of, okay, this is the public self, and and these are the things that I'm going to hold back. I think that in this book, there's really very little of anything that I've held back about myself. I think that the things that are embarrassing to me are really not what most people expect the answer is going to be. I mean, for me, I think it's the emotional stuff that makes me a little bit, like, shy and uncomfortable as opposed to the sexual stuff or any of the other things that I I talk about. So for me, like, revealing that that side makes, seems more vulnerable. I don't know. It's been remarkable to have, like, girls come up to me and be like, you know, I feel like this is like a relationship Bible or, you know, this is like, I just got divorced and this was really inspiring. And so that's really, first of all, unexpected, really nice to hear. Because the sexual stuff, as you say, you know, when it appears in the the memoir, it's really pretty straightforward and matter of fact that it's like, you know, these are the choices that I've made about my sexual Mm -hmm. life and I'm comfortable with them and don't have any second guessing about those. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are, are other points where it's not that necessarily that you're second guessing your emotional decisions and you are sort of like honoring the fact that you made those emotional decisions, mm-hmm. but you're also being very upfront about like, yeah, I screwed that one up. Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, I think it's also about ownership of your decisions in general and taking responsibility for, like, the good and the bad. But ultimately, I think it's really about, like, being comfortable with yourself and the decisions that you make and not really looking to other people for approval for those decisions, which I think is one of the biggest mistakes we make, myself included, you know? Like, oh, is it okay to do this? Or there are, like, all of these rules you're supposed to follow, and if you follow them, then wind up with, like, I don't know, like some fucking pot of gold or something. It doesn't work like that. With two memoirs out now, and you mentioned at the beginning that it's like, this is the thing you know how to write. I mean, do you still try or delve into trying to write something else? Or are you pretty much, this is the path that I'm on? Well, what do you mean by something else? Like science fiction or... I mean... Well, fiction? (laughs) No. I mean, I couldn't write fiction if I tried. Mm -hmm. I think think it's more about just writing in the first person and writing about... I don't know if it was James Baldwin, who's, you know, one of my personal heroes, but that, you know, you write what you know. And so, again, you know, for me, that 
it comes from a place of humor and comedy. So, so that sort of stuff works for me, but it's still coming from that same voice. We're working on turning the book into a TV series or trying to. And I mean, again, like I think that, you know, there are how, however many stories there are in this book, they seem pretty universal. And there are like a hundred more of those stories that aren't in this particular book with these characters and other characters. But ultimately, I think it's based on my life experience and the people around me. So I don't think I'm ever going to venture that far off. I wish I could. I'd probably, <laughs> I'd love to be, you know, doing like some like Jonathan and Faye Kellerman stuff, <laughs> kind of stuff. That seems really fun to me. But at the same time, I think it's a you know perfectly valid response. It's like, this is the voice that I found mm-hmm. and let's just keep Working in this voice. I mean, it's pretty much the only thing I'm really qualified to do. <laughs> now, you mentioned a TV show. Uh-huh. And that actually comes up at the beginning of, of On My Knees as well. Mm-hmm. Is that So are these like two separate efforts to to do a TV show based on stuff that you've written? Or? Well, I think the first one is done. I mean, that that's over. Um, I don't think that that works as a television show anyway to tell you the truth. As, and I think that's articulated in the book, perhaps, as well. Like, that just, it just didn't work. Which is fine, you know? I mean, I think that certain things are suited for certain things and certain things are suited for other things. And I think that On My Knees really has much longer legs, I think, than The Only Bush. I think this is one of the questions that you asked in the very beginning that perhaps I didn't even answer. What was the motivation behind each one? I mean, I think the... Only Bush was much less revelatory, honestly, and maybe a little bit more flip. I think I go a lot deeper in this, and I think this is more personal than that. I think there's a distinction, a, a really useful distinction to be made between like, you know, oh, here are some essays in which I look at the world around me and and a more sustained sort of narrative, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Like, you know, here, I'm going to dig in. Yeah. My heels and, and really take a look at this. Yeah, I think that that's very, very true. I think that this definitely, I definitely dug my heels in a little bit more with this one, or a lot more. <laughs> On My Knees ends with you guys getting married. Uh-huh. It's and, a love story. <laughs> and in the years since then, certainly your life has probably changed in a, in a couple more interesting ways. Yeah. Have you started writing about those yet? I have. I have. And I'm nine months pregnant now, which was pretty unexpected Uh, (laughs) time-wise. And and I would imagine complicates the book publicity timing, Um, at least in terms of what you're able to to do for it. Not so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been really fortunate, actually. It's like I said, you know, now it's like hot and I'm tired and I feel like I swallowed myself <laughs> but it, it's been okay I mean you know I think it is what it is and it's like just deal with it as that but it's it's been interesting I mean at first I was like oh my god how am I going to deal with this book coming out and being pregnant people seem to um, be very nice to pregnant people <laughs> which they should because being pregnant is awful <laughs> And I have started writing the third one. 
And it, it does pick up where the second one left off. So in a couple of years, we will be able to hear your thoughts on just how awful being pregnant <laughs> Yeah. And, and how wonderful it is. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I hope so. You know, it's always a blessing and an honor to be able to publish a book. I feel very, very lucky for that. I don't take those things for granted, so I hope so. In the meantime, On My Knees is a really great memoir, which I hope folks will check out. I've been talking with Periel Ashenbrand for Life Stories. My name is Ron Hogan, and I'm glad that you were able to tune into this episode, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode soon. Thank you for listening.